Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths about breastfeeding and beyond. Today, I have the great pleasure to have with me Tina Fry. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marie. I'm so excited to speak with you tonight. Well, I'm very excited to have Tina here because I've been hearing about Tina through a mutual friend for years. Our mutual friend is Debbie Bokar, and you've probably heard me speak about Debbie on the show. But uh, I asked Tina on the show because she has a special interest in Q-based feeding. Before we get going, let me tell you just a little bit about Tina. She is a doctor of nursing practice who has almost four decades of experience in nursing, mostly in maternal child health. A woman's health nurse practitioner and lactation consultant, she has worked in community health, school, and hospital settings, and currently, she's an advanced practice nurse for women's and newborn services at a major Midwestern teaching hospital where she leads the journey towards baby-friendly designation and certification as safe sleep hospital for infants. Dr. Fry has also taught maternal child nursing in an associate's degree for 25 years, and she currently serves as a clinical adjunct faculty member for a BSN nursing program as well. Her systematic review of quality improvement initiatives related to Q-based feedings in preterm infants was published in Nursing for Women's Health just a couple of months ago, October of 2018. Uh, Tina, again, welcome to the show, and we are really delighted to have you here talking about Q-based feedings for preterm infants. Thank you, Marie. uh, I I just want to back up a little bit, and I want to know, how did you specifically, uh, clearly you've got a big uh, maternal child background, but how did you get interested in this Q-based feeding for preterm kid thing? Well, um, frankly, I was I was looking for a focus while in the doctor of nursing practice program, and uh, about the same time, I was offered a position at the teaching hospital where I'm currently employed, and it was a it was a topic which they felt needed to be addressed, and so uh-huh. that's that really you know spurred my interest because it, it just. You know, it, they needed it, and I needed yep. a topic, and, and it was a fascinating topic to boot. Well, it is, because I have to tell you, it has been years since I have fed preterm babies, but I've fed a plenty of them, and I have a plenty of questions for you. I want to start out with... <sighs> It's funny that I start out this way because I just got through teaching my comprehensive lactation course in Dallas and somebody said to me, boy, Marie, you're pretty persnickety about your definitions, aren't you? And I said, actually, yes, because if we don't all understand what the other person is talking about, we're kind of hosed from the beginning. So (laughs) uh, in in the the old days, we used to talk about demand feedings, and I think we kind of ditched that because it implied that the baby was pounding his fist on a on the uh, table, you know, demanding to be fe- to be fed. So I suspect that might have been why we got rid of that. But then we went to the word Q-based feedings. So in your estimation, what is what constitutes a Q-based feeding? 
Okay, and and that's a very good question, and I would agree with you that demand feeding does sound like it gives a negative connotation that the baby yeah. is screaming, and right. screaming is actually a very late, late feeding, cue. late feeding cue exactly. So cues are little signs that are largely visual that a baby sends out because the babies obviously cannot say hey you know, time to eat or, you know, they don't have, they're not wearing a Timex. Uh, <laughs> if that's even a wristwatch anymore, that dates me. But uh, at any rate. Um, not wearing they, an eyewatch they, either. No, no. They send out subtle cues that indicate, and there's something that can be taught. Nurses can teach these to parents to be aware of when the baby's saying, you know, I could, I could use some food now. Um, subtle early cues that mm-hmm. say I'm hungry are, um, actually stirring just maybe just stirring a little bit in their in their crib um opening their mouth uh certainly opening their mouth uh turning their head from side to side and then most of us know what what rooting is you know when a baby roots toward um a finger an object a breast if you will um that's an early feed. those are (laughs) yeah nurse's glad finger uh those are early feeding cues mid cues because the early cues basically the baby's saying I'm hungry. The right. mid cues is I'm really pretty hungry, and that's when they start to stretch. They get more movement, hand to mouth, actually mm-hmm. maybe sucking on their finger, or their fist, mm-hmm. and then late feeding cues. Boy, you better do something for me. Crying, very agitated body movements, turning bright red. Those are um, you know late feeding cues, and at that point, you've kind of missed your golden window of opportunity to to yes. feed the baby. Yes. And, you know, Tina, here is something. I, I think of somebody like my project manager here in the office. She has had six children. And when she heard me one time talking about uh, cues, she said to me, Marie, where I had my kids, nobody ever talked to me about these cues. I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking I must have been missing the boat when I was a parent because I thought that when I had to wait until the baby was crying. And now I'm realizing, yeah, that's really late. Uh, right, that that's really causing frustration on the part yes. of the baby that, um, you know, that you're just, because they don't have verbal expression, so how are they going to let you know what they yeah. need? Right. So, so, so actually, so cue-based feeding then is taking that into account and using, you know, that as, as your mechanism for feeding a baby, um, and then also observing and these are babies, the, the very preterm babies that are in, in ICU, um, the, the nurse has to also observe, you know, what are their vital signs? What's their energy level? All those things, their, their breathing capability, all, all that going on, or are they having signs of distress? I mean, all those factors Factor. have to play in. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Tina, I have to tell you, it's been a while since I took care of that crowd of kids. So I'm not as well read on this as I probably should be, but I continually bump into this term that is a little unfamiliar to me, and that is infant-driven feedings. Mm -hmm. Uh, In your estimation, is infant-driven feeding pretty much the same as cue-based feeding, or would you say it is substantially different? In my understanding, and again, I, I will prefaces to say with all the qualifications you read you didn't read anywhere that I'm a neonatal nurse or a neonatal (laughs) nurse practitioner because I am not Uh, so you know there may be people experts out there that could beg to differ with me but to my level of understanding um, the difference being you know 
provider-driven is where the oh. neonatologist or physician says, you're going to put 50 milliliters in this child, however you do it. You know, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's provider-driven. And then infant-driven is, based upon these cues, you allow the baby to be fed. And then babies, I didn't mention this, but babies also have satiety cues of like, wait a minute, I'm finished. And my hold it, they literally can hold up their little hands yep. as if to say, stop, hold it. Yep. And, By the uh, way, I call that the halt hand. Right. <laughs> That's a good name for it. The, the That's a good name pushes, for it. Pushes out that hand as if to say, hey, I've been trying to tell you this and you haven't been getting it. Halt. I, I'm done with it. Exactly. And also the the um, neonatal nurses who are very keen to just very subtle uh, changes, little modeling around the mouth or just, you know, they can tell when a baby is stressed and they're so, so keen to know these things. Yeah. So it, it's a, a very, and, and the best thing is that, you know, parents can be actually taught this and it helps them have more confidence and it helps us do better family centered care if we bring the parent into the whole feeding picture. Mm-hmm. You know, Tina, honestly, I find that it's not terribly difficult to teach and most parents get it. This is not rocket science here, but it's the, the, the whole point of being aware. If you just aren't aware of what you're supposed to be observing for, then no, you do kind of miss it. You, I, I loved the way that you made a distinction between provider-driven and infant-driven. I think that's really a major point. And that brings me to, I really remember those days when the baby had what I would call a quota. A uh, baby had to take 25 uh, cc's or 25 mls, uh-huh. virtually, virtually the same thing. And so do you think that we are moving away from volume-based feedings? And and exactly. Uh, in fact, the terms volume-based and provider-driven are often used simultaneously, so, just okay. like Q-based Q versus infant-led or infant-driven. Um yep. And yet, I mean, there is a certain point, like if an infant just decides, well, I don't want anything for 24 hours, you cannot let that go on because, you know, the the infant will surely not thrive. But in the the systematic review that I performed, and and it was, I'll I'll be honest, it was a school assignment, but it really was a fascinating (laughs) assignment and it did lead to a publication. But in exploring these different quality improvement projects, I learned that through through carrying out quality-based improvement projects with with Q-based feeding, some of the infants actually got out of the hospital sooner or attained full oral feedings sooner. Sooner. So, mm-hmm. right. And 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 even you know any one day out of the NICU is a lot of money saved. Not to mention decreased stress on the on the family uh, by separating the family. Tina, I'm I'm still thinking about this volume thing and uh, what you said earlier, which is about satiety cues. When I give courses, I teach uh, signs of satiety because I feel that's equally as important. And yet, when these preemie kids have a, a quota, I can remember sometimes being there with the value feed in my hand and saying, oh, honey, you're supposed to take 25 and you've only taken 20. Can't you, can't you just, oh, can you just take those other five for me, please? Uh, <laughs> but really, that baby was really saying, no, Marie, actually, I really can't. I am, I've really had all I want here. Would you please go away? And that is, in fact, where sometimes they will throw out that, that fault. And, and exactly, and parents uh, lacking awareness of noticing satiety cues can actually lead to uh, childhood obesity. Uh, yeah. so, so parents really need to learn to cue into what their baby's telling them. 
Uh, Tina, I want to talk a little bit more about this on the other side of the break, but in the minute or so that we've got left, could you please address cue-based uh, feedings as related to preterm babies? Do you believe that cues alone are adequate for feeding a preterm baby? Uh, no, because um, no. Not, not, necess- not necessarily so, because no. a preterm baby wants to sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep, yeah. That's because they would have been in utero doing very little and just, you know, living off the, the fat of the land as far as being <laughs> being inside and, and hooked up to the umbilical cord. Yeah. So, um, therefore, they are very, very sleepy and and their energy is limited so there are times that they need to be gently awakened but but again if we can not miss any of the golden opportunities when they are cueing when they are telling us that they are ready for nourishment if we can hit every one of those we may still have to gently waken them at other times well tina i'm really glad to hear you say that because i know that you have done real true honest to god research on this and I have been really not much more than just a lowly staff nurse, but that was what exactly what I thought, that uh, cueing is important, but these kids really, they kind of want to just roll over and go back to sleep, and then, you know, you're kind of, that's really not good care. So, hey, everybody, don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I'm here today with Tina Fry. Tina is here to talk to us about cue-based feedings for preterm babies. I would just like to remind you that I'm going to be giving my comprehensive course in lactation in February. And if you would like to join me, I well, I'm going to be giving it other times too, but <laughs> I want to let you know that in February, I will be giving it in sunny Orlando. If you would like to get away from the cold and the yuck of winter, we usually have a really, really good time with a really good group because typically uh, those who attend uh, uh, the 90-hour course, which of course is required if you want to sit for your IBLCE exam, uh, typically we get people from every other state in the union other than Florida. So it's a very mixed group. We have a lot of fun, and I would hope that you could join me if you possibly could. So, Tina, uh, before we went to break, we were talking about cue-based feedings are important, but we can't rely solely on cues. There's just one more thing I want you to explain to parents, and that is we all know that babies start sucking in utero, and I can't remember how many weeks that is, but it's really, really early in the game. And then after that, they can suck and swallow, but in fact, in order to breastfeed, they have to suck and swallow and breathe. So Right. Can you help us to understand how, in in other words, it's a progression. Yes. Would, would you also, therefore, characterize their cues as, as in a progression? Do, In your opinion, do they become more, I don't know, I don't even know what the word is, but like more frequent or more less subtle, more dramatic? How would you characterize those? Well, and again, I, I preface that with the fact that I am not a neonatal specialist nurse, and so I am not nearly as um, proficient, I guess, at, at assessing neonates as someone who's worked in neonatal intensive care strictly there. But I would say that, yes, as babies, each each day that they are you know, out in the world, they are becoming a little more stable, a little more alert, hopefully, each day. So I think that there is... A little more progression of cues, but it just, it really boils down to observation on the part of the nurse, the parent, whomever is dealing with this neonate. Uh, one of the things that stresses me a lot, Tina, is that in many hospitals, 32 weeks is thought to be the, quote, magic number, unquote, for when a baby is, quote, allowed to go to breast. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, having taken care of many, many, many of those kids, I can, well, never mind what I think. What do you think? Do you think that every kid is ready at exactly 32 weeks? No, no. I think it's a very individual, very developmentally based uh, process. I mean, you have to look at each baby as an individual, just like each of us as an individual. And certainly some babies, um, you know, you can begin kangaroo care as soon as they are, which is, you know, holding the, the mother able to hold the baby skin to skin um, and, and do maybe some non-nutritive suckling as soon as the infant is stable enough to handle that. Agreed. Um, 
And then, so babies are different. I mean, there may be one that that can't master those skills by 32 weeks and maybe one that can earlier. And I don't really have a recorded amount of the earliest ever to do this or the latest, but it's certainly, it's a continuum. And and there's a lot of factors uh, that, that factor in. I distinctly remember that Tristan Nyquist uh, published an article some years ago where she had a baby that at 29 weeks was able to uh, transfer five mLs to himself. And I wow. think I have never seen that. And I've seen a lot of these kids. But but I think it really helped me to wake up to the fact that, you know, babies are individuals. They're like all the rest of us. Some of us can do things sooner or later than others of us. Some of us finish college early. Some of us late, you know. Right. Uh, so so talk to us about being force-fed because he, this show is really about debunking the myths. And I think there's a big myth floating around there that uh, a NICU baby has to be force-fed in order to grow properly. Oh, what do you say? Well, it's it's not so much what I say, but it's what I found. And again, when I did research, I actually started uh, with when I cast the broad net for trying to look at cue-based feeding in preterm infants. Uh, I ended up with 41 articles, but by the time process of elimination, I got down to what I was really looking for, which were articles that involved quality improvement projects, and they had to be. They had to mention cubase feeding. They had to be with preterm infants. I came down to only seven articles, which are what I systematically reviewed for my publication. And in those particular articles, um, what we saw was, I mean, some real some definite improvement in getting, again, sooner discharge from the hospital, um, sooner time to full feeds, things like that in these particular infants who were allowed to go through a process of, of it was the, the hospital actually did a multidisciplinary task force and looked at Q-based feeding. I mean, they brought in, you know, the, the neonatal, neonatal physicians, pediatricians, the neonatal nurses, and the parents, and they formed a team to look at, you know, how best to feed these babies. Yeah, Um I love what you said about length of stay because we all know that nobody wants a greater length of stay. No, and in fact, it's extremely, extremely expensive and uh, also just just limits uh, family bonding. And, and especially, you know, if, the, if uh, most neonatal intensive cares are in metropolitan areas and yeah. not all parents reside in metropolitan areas. So it's a great hardship on a family when their baby is, in, is hospitalized in the city and perhaps they're rural. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, length of stay is not something the babies want, the parents want, the hospital want. There, there's just, there's no wonderful thing about length of stay. We, we really want to shorten that if we can. So I noticed that in your uh, study, you mentioned length of stay. You also talked about uh, infant weight gain and specifically mm-hmm. about uh Velocity. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, velocity has to do with, you know, maybe the total rate gain wasn't more, but the the velocity, the amount gained per day was often better if they were allowed to feed more so infant-led versus providers just saying you're going to take X amount, whether you want to or not. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. uh, Tina, you also said that uh, researchers reported earlier gestational attainment of full oral feedings. I think we all know, well, maybe we don't all know about uh, 
gestational attainment, but also please talk to us about what constitutes full oral feedings. Um, well, with full oral feedings, it means that the baby is not receiving um, intravenous feeding at all at that point. They're taking all their, their nutrients um, orally by mouth. Yeah. And what you're saying is that they could do so earlier as opposed to later. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we talked a lot about uh, uh, hunger cues. Did we talk enough about that? Can we, uh, or was there anything? I think, no, I think we've covered that well. I think we've covered that well. Um, I was trying to go to break, so I didn't want to uh, cut you short there. No, no. It's fine. So you also talked about uh, satiety or satiation. So help us a little bit with what kind of cues can help us to know that the baby actually has had enough to eat. Um, Again, a very, very obvious one is when they hold up their hands as as if to say, just stop. Just, you know, both both hands sometimes with their fingers splayed and just saying, no, stop. Um, hiccuping, coughing, yep. choking, mm-hmm. uh, turning, you know, different colors <laughs> than you'd want them to. Yep. All, all those uh, are signs to say, I've, I've really had it. Yes. And sometimes just almost, they just kind of shut down. You know, they just yep. sort of close their eyes and they just, they, they're just trying to shut Turn down. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they're overstimulated almost. Yep. Yes. Uh, if Sarah Danner were here, she would call it a, a sign of avoidance. She says, mm-hmm. But they are trying to avoid you. They don't even maintain eye contact. Right. They're, they just, they're just over it, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, Tina, we know that human milk is best for all babies. We know that it's best for preterm babies. We know that it's best for late preterm babies. And as I always remind people, just remember, a late preterm baby is, by definition, a preterm baby. He is not a junior term baby. Right. Uh, but, but let's talk a little bit about the milk. Uh, why is mother's milk or perhaps pasteurized donor milk better for a preterm infant than commercial formula? And I know there are literally books written on that, but can you boil that down to some really uh, user-friendly language for us, please? Oh, sure. I mean, and uh, in a user-friendly way, uh, I would sometimes I would compare it when I would talk to parents, I would say it's very much like your colostrum and your milk is if you've ever painted raw wood and you've used a primer first, it's, you know, mother's milk uh, is a primer for the gut. So it yes. prepares the gut and for for the nourishment that's to come. And we do know that there's a very increased risk, especially in very preterm babies who who don't receive human milk, of necrotizing enterocolitis, big word that's abbreviated as NEC, N-E-C. And that is a devastating uh, condition. It can be life-threatening. It can lead to um, having to have parts of the colon removed and infants, well, people dealing with short gut syndrome then the rest of their life. Um, So bad stuff. So, and I'm not saying that all breastfed babies, I mean, even even babies who receive human milk can develop neck, but the incident is much higher in babies who do not have the benefit of human milk. Did you see that specifically in your systematic review, or was that just kind of rolled into the length of stay thing? Um, I didn't really 
the measures that I was looking at, necrotizing enterocolitis wasn't one of the well, measures oh, that yeah. we, we looked at. It's just something that I that I know from um, my time in nursing and in lactation. Yes, I would agree totally on, on both of those counts. Just, uh, well, you know, as I like to say, one nurse's observations do not study make, but right. <laughs> right. right. observations for many, many years are, are worth listening to, and I, in fact, uh, we've been listening with great interest to all that you've had to say, hey, Tina. Trust me, listeners, we are going to come back and we're going to talk much more. When we come back, I'm going to ask Tina to talk about late preterm infants and, um, and breastfeeding in human milk. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I am here today with Tina Fry. We are talking about preterm infants, and I promised you that on this side of the break, we would talk about late preterm infants. And you heard me say in the last segment, just as we were going out, that late preterm infants are not just junior term infants. They are preterm infants, and they have a lot of little quirky things with them that are very preterm. So... Uh, Tina, in your journal article that featured the preterm infants in the NICU setting, uh, you mentioned a lot of things, but please talk to us about your work with those late preterm infants who are cared for along with their mothers in general maternity settings, meaning not necessarily NICU. Yes, I would love to talk about this. These these little babies have very special uh, place in my heart. Uh, I did a a project as part of my doctor of nursing practice degree. And I focused on that group, the late preterm infants for my, for my study project. And, you know, technically, um, you know, the literature defines a, a late pretermer as a baby born between 34 weeks gestation and 36 weeks and six days. And that's who they call the late preterms or the LPIs. For my practical study, I looked at babies who were 35 weeks to 36 and 6, and that is because at our particular institution, that's the age where they're allowed to be out on the floor with mom. I knew you were going to say that because I've worked in that exact same setting. I totally get it. Yep. Yeah. So even though the 34 weeks <laughs> are still categorized as late preterm, I'm going to mostly be addressing the babies who are 35 weeks to the 36 and 6, just so we're clear on that. Yeah. But Sure. Yes. To the, to the un... Um, I don't want to say uneducated, but maybe to the uninformed person, the late preterm looks just like any other baby. I mean, do they are like, well, they have hair, they're cute, they yeah. have, you know, they have all their features, they they look just fine, um, but they've been defined as the not quite ready for prime time. Uh, <laughs> Many terms apply to them. The great pretenders, uh, they're called many, many names. Um, In fact, uh, I did a slide presentation where I showed little babies in uh, crocheted costumes of like a little deer, a little turtle, a little whatever, because they were, and they have so many cute photographs that you can find, but but, um, they are the late pretenders because... um, they look just like a full-term baby, yet they're, they're, they're not as well-developed. They're sleepier. They have harder times with respiratory function. They have harder times uh, regulating their body temperature. They often have low blood sugar. Mm-hmm. They're very prone to jaundice because of the immaturity of their liver. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have major feeding problems. And they can, we now know, they can actually experience developmental delays. Um, even because sometimes people think that's only for the very premature, but actually oh. late preterm babies can experience the same thing. Very high rate of rehospitalization for uh, dehydration, hyperbilirubinemia, um, which is jaundice is how it manifests um, for people that may not know that term. Um, but yeah, there's just so much that I could just go on and on about these yeah. babies uh, because oh. here they are with the general population and yet need a lot more uh, care, a lot more care and a lot more nudging along. And yet we are so happy to be able to care for them in general units where they can stay with the family. That's that's the, the plus of it all. But it just requires a lot more intense care management and teaching for those parents who are going to be taking these babies home. Uh, Tina, I think that 
See, I came to those kids after I had taken care of kids who were 28, 30 weeks and so forth. So to me, I, I was able to see them as more similar to the preterm kids than to the term kids. But I think that where it kind of breaks down is we house these kids in the newborn nursery or if we don't have a nursery, we're housing them in the same way that we would uh, have a term baby, perhaps in their mother's room, which is great. I'm all for that. But it's that place of residence, so to speak, that I think kind of gets us, stops us from recognizing this baby has special needs. He just dies. Yes, absolutely. Um, and fortunately, where I work, we have a transition team of nurses who are their whole role is to help keep these babies out of the NICU so they monitor their blood sugar and they monitor their respiratory efforts and their temperatures and they really help out the the staff nurses who don't have who are spread too thin to give the extra attention to these little guys so we are very fortunate to have that role within our institution. Um, Tina, I want to go back to the idea of cue-based feedings. Do you think that with the, I I know the answer is yes, but um, (laughs) (laughs) do you think that their uh, cues are more subtle? And I suspect you do think they're more subtle. If so, are there any specific tips? Because I've seen kids that they don't necessarily have a different cue but the cue is more subtle. Anything that you can help parents to recognize that? When I'm teaching a parent about um, their late preterm baby, I essentially say, if their eyes are open, offer them food. You know, at least offer them food yeah. because, and I, and that is for a breastfeeding mom I'm saying because otherwise you could be overfeeding with formula every time they open their eyes but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah when you're trying when this mother's trying to establish lactation and you have a late preterm baby whose suck is not necessarily as strong uh, or, or as aggressive as, as a baby who's at 40 weeks then you know you need these babies need all the help they can get and she knows she needs all the help she can get to get her milk supply going. So um, actually a part of my project with these late preterm babies, it was two pronged. One was teaching the parents feeding cues so that they were aware of, you know, it's time to feed the baby rather than pass them around and look at them when they're being responsive, because that's often what people do. They're passing them around to friends and families to say, oh, aren't they cute? When, when that's a hunger cue and they're, they're missing that window of opportunity. So definitely, I said, you know, take every cue to heart, um, making sure that, um, that at least not letting the baby sleep more than a period of three hours during the daytime, because as you know, you know, they need multiple feedings during the day to, to establish their, their milk supply. And then I actually recommended, um, I took this from Diane Spatz, who is a published oh, yeah. um, PhD yes. from uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, pump oh, early, yeah. pump Pump early, pump often. That's uh, her motto for yeah. NICU parents and, and LPIs as well. Uh-huh. And um, now, of course, NICU, as soon as the mother's stable with a very pre-preterm baby, you know, the mother's hopefully beginning pumping with a hospital-grade pump. But even with these late preterms, um, 
they're they're not taking very much at a quantity and they're not sucking very hard. So if the mom still does some supplemental pumping and then if a three-step plan is in order and you know you know what a three-step plan is. I don't know how much of your listeners will know that, but actually, you know, allowing the baby to suckle at breast and then giving them some of the mother's pumped milk as well. Um, this helps, you know, establish the baby's um, nutrition and helps establish mom's milk supply. Yeah, yeah. I also, yeah. at this point, would put in a plug, not everyone, but many, many preterms and late preterm babies benefit from the use of a thin silicone nipple shield as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And and nipple shields are somewhat controversial in the land of lactation, but I uh, again I've done a lot of reading on the topic. Diane Spatz has done study, and others have, and I have seen during the course of my project a late preterm baby who faked out the world. Every the mother thought the baby was transferring well. I thought the baby was just observing. I thought it was a good latch. But when I did pre and post weights, I found. Um, the baby spent 10 minutes and took out two milliliters, two cc's wow. of, of milk transfer from the mom. Same right. baby, same breast, same mom. We put the shield on properly. The baby transferred, guess how much? Oh, dear. I don't know. 32 Whoa. milliliters. Oh. So, so like a one-ounce difference. Out. Yeah. And I continued uh-huh. to follow this family after they uh-huh. were discharged from the hospital. And it wasn't until the baby was at corrected term age, uh, which actually put the baby, um, I can't, I'm trying to remember, but at any rate, the baby reached a point where it did better without the shield. So I wasn't telling her to use the shield forever, but we actually used science. I mean, we actually did pre and post weights to... Yeah to decide how, how well the baby was doing. But it made the difference for this baby between being failure to thrive and a mother who became successful with breastfeeding and felt so good about the situation. Tina, I am not a big shield giver. As a matter of fact, I'm usually a how do I avoid the shield, but I think with preterm babies, we're talking a whole other ball of wax. And also, I will tell you that I bet we have a mutual friend of a mutual friend, and that is Linda Schrago, years yes. ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she really, and, and she asked me to write this thing, or to read this thing she had written, and I said to her, well, if you can convince me, you can convince anybody, but I read it, and I was astonished at the results that Linda Schrago got, and after that, I sort of felt like, you know, I really need to rethink my staunch position on this, so I'm, st- well, I certainly don't believe in giving a shield for no reason at all, I'm sure you don't either, but... right. Are right with these preterm kids. Sometimes you hear things and you think they're swallowing their nuts. Sometimes they're just sucking their tongue. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's so much of that pretending and faking you out. These little guys can really fake you out. They absolutely oh. can, and and if they can fake out a nurse, they can certainly fake out a parent oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's yeah. I think it's that that brings home the importance of close follow-up by a lactation consultant in the late preterm population, bringing them back for postpartum checks and and pre-post weights so that you really know and can support the parent and what's happening. Because as you know, it's all about the transfer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, everybody, uh, don't go away. I'm here today with uh, Tina Fry. And Tina and I have way more in common than what I ever would have realized. But anyway, um, I want to talk to Tina about sleep 
as related especially to these uh, late preterm babies. Uh, But Tina also has a special interest in this. So don't go away. We're going to be coming right back after this short break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I'm here today with Tina Fry. We're talking about preterm babies, cue-based feedings, and a little bit more. I want to go to the little bit more right now. Tina, I'm sure that you know that in the last 13 or so years, it seems to me the AAP came out with their statement about 2005 or so. I can't remember uh, exactly. But anyway, there was this really big flap about not putting your baby in the bed with you. And then it was, well, you can put the baby in the bed, but you got to take him out of the bed and so forth. So the whole idea here is that we want mothers and babies to breastfeed. But oh, by the way, the bed is kind of a convenient place for the mother. 
So we've had a couple of guests talk about safe sleep, but I'd like you to talk about it from the standpoint of breastfeeding. What have you? What would you like to share with us? Um, well, what I would what I would very much like to share is, um, you know, traditionally, yes. In, in fact, even you know this, often the correct answer if you're taking the IBCLC lactation exam is you're su- the su- correct answer on the test is supposed right. to be sleep right. with your baby. Oh, right, but, right. <laughs> it is, you know. Yeah. And, yet, and yet, the American Academy of Pediatrics, pediatricians, uh, blatantly <laughs> refute that. Um, actual fact is that in, in America, there are about 3,500 infants who have sudden infant death uh, or die during, unexpectedly during their sleep uh, every year. And in my state of Oklahoma, um, the rate is actually three times um, the national rate. So I oh. guess that's why that's why I'm highly attuned to this yeah. <laughs> um, in, yeah. in my in my hospital. We actually, um, yeah, I, I've known of, of of babies to go home and and perish just from unsafe sleeping conditions so and and no one should should have to lose their baby no one should have to lose their baby so um i'm a big fan of course of a a strong advocate of breastfeeding but uh sleeping in close proximity but not on the same surface is is my is my hard party line now uh having said that because that is the academy's um position I spoke with an individual uh, whom I greatly admire, who's right in the middle of her doctor of nursing practice program, and her whole focus has been safe sleep. So I consider her a strong authority on this because of the number of research she's done, and she's actually breastfed three babies herself. Um, She's she says I have I have some kinder, gentler ways that to tell moms because she knows how sleepy a mom gets in the middle of the night. And she gave me some personal tips as far as she said, she would set the timer on her phone for five minutes. So that in case she fell asleep, she set it on silent. So it wouldn't wake her baby, but it would alert her. Okay. I've got to put him over in this crib that is, or bassinet that is directly next to my bed. I I mean, they're very safe at arm's length. I mean, you can have the, the baby's crib exactly by your bed. But there's just, it's just too unsafe um, to have the baby on the type of mattress that most adults are going to sleep on. Um, they're just too soft. And then parents worry about back to sleep. They're saying, well, that, that's just, what if they throw up? Well, what if they do? Um, you can actually look at anatomic cutaway drawings that show that if they do throw up, um, gravity is going to bring the, the, um, the vomitus, the, the spit up, back into their esophagus and into their stomach, not into their lungs. Yeah. And, but you know, I have a daughter who's 32 years old, and you know, of course, we were told put them on their belly, put them on yeah. their belly, and yeah. and yes, and yes, she lived. You know, she is now 32 years old. Um, I mean, I let her sleep in all kinds of funky positions, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't know any better. And just like probably you and I grew up without seat belts as children right. or car seats, because right. you know, and we lived. But right. what about the ones who didn't? Right. What about the ones who didn't? So it's like, right. no, when you know better, you do better. And and there's just, you know, so much, so much study, so much literature out there about getting the toys out of the crib, the fluffy blankets, the the and again, I believe maybe you've gone over this in prior programs, so I don't wanna don't want to beat a dead subject, but at the same time, um, you know, if we could even get one parent to listen to this and avoid a sleeping, um, an accident, uh, it would be worth it. 
Yeah, Dr. Stacy Scott came, uh, oh dear, I don't know, a few months ago, I can't remember now, and she really explained that whole anatomy thing, and I actually, yeah, I said to her on the air, I said, Dr. Scott, can you kind of, like, this does not seem to make sense to most people, can you break this down so that the average person, and hello, that would be me as well, (laughs) (laughs) I've always found it very difficult to tell parents this because they're like, no, that doesn't really make any sense, but as Dr. Stacey Scott explained it, it really made a lot of sense, so I would encourage readers, listeners to go to that show and uh, listen because she really made a good a convincing case, let's put it that way, for the back to sleep. And you're right. I mean, we grew up with those things. I certainly grew up or was raised with being on my back. And, you know, I live to tell about it. But as you point out, some kids don't. And I really had no idea that the state of Oklahoma, I'm thinking to myself, wow, what are you cowboys doing to your kids here? Holy moly. <laughs> it's pretty, it's very scary. Uh, I mean, I, unfortunately, my, my state is at the the bottom of a lot of things. <laughs> so we're, we're high in, high in poverty, high in obesity. Uh, yeah, we, we don't, we don't have it all right uh, in a lot of ways, but we're working on it. That's, well, that's what we, we are all deficient and all uh, less than perfect in some way. It's just, as my husband frequently reminds me about when I don't know something and I say how ignorant I am. And he says, yeah, well, we're all ignorant just on different topics. You know? <laughs> right. Right. So true. And also then, you know, again, with lactation, people are always like, Oh, fear the pacifier. But once lactation is well established and that's the key, because well established is different for different children. Um, the, the pacifier and back to sleep are the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations. And um, I would also say the thing with the passy is don't substitute a breastfeeding or, or a pacifier for a breastfeeding. That's key. Well, right. Never give a pacifier to a hungry baby. Right. But, but, uh, I, ho- I hope everyone knows that, but everyone doesn't, right? No, no, Tina, I think it goes, I think we've come full circle here to where the show started out today, which is if that kid has got that passing in his mouth, you aren't seeing the earliest cue, which right. is opening and the oral searching reflex. You are not seeing that. Right, you're going to miss the cue. And also he's going to use uh, calories, you know, suckling on that pacifier. He's going to use energy and calories. Absolutely. It's just so incredibly important to look at all of those things. So, hey, Tina, I got to tell you, I was delighted when you came up to me in, uh, I guess it must have been in August when you came to my course. And I thought to myself, this is a woman I really like and really relate to. And that goes for tonight as well. Uh, Thank you. Really, really fun to talk with you. You have so much common sense, so much good stuff to tell us. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, Tina Fry, for being on the show. Thank you. And thank you for uh, giving me the privilege. Thank you. It was my privilege. All righty. Well, hey, everybody, don't go away. I mean, you're going to have to go away for right now. If we're done with this episode. But we will be having uh, several episodes for the end of the year as well as into the new year. And I would like to suggest to you that if you like this show, if you find it valuable, if you've gotten tips, clarification, the ability to debunk the myths you've had, whatever it is that I or any of my guests have been able to help you with, if you find the show valuable, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to uh, the podcast and rate it. It would really help us and it would help other people. So kind of like share the wealth. That's all I have for today. And so on behalf of my guest, Tina Fry, on behalf of all of my guests and everyone who has been here in the past and 
I would say thank you to all of you for listening and be around to listen again next week. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 